Adopt's Let's Talk, a podcast that brings you valuable resources for prospective and current adoptive and foster families, as well as professionals. My name is Stephanie Renier. I'm the Education Program Manager at MinAdopt. Today we are joined by Professor Natalie Netzel. Natalie is an assistant professor at Mitchell Hamlin School of Law, where she serves as a co-director of clinics and advocacy and education director for the Institute to Transform Child Protection. Welcome, Natalie. I'm excited to talk to you about kinship care. Thank you so much for having me. It's so great to be here. Great. All right, let's jump right in. From a legal standpoint, how is kin defined within the Minnesota child welfare system? Yeah, so in our Minnesota statutes, kin is more or less the same as relative. And we have a really broad definition of relative meaning that in the context of child welfare cases, our Minnesota laws define relative as any person related to the child by blood marriage or adoption, the parent, legal guardian, or custodian of the child's siblings, or any individual who is an important friend with whom the child has resided or had significant contact. So this language, the important friend with whom the child has had significant contact, contact, it really encompasses many different kinds of people in relationships. So for example, we might consider a neighbor or a family friend or a close teacher to be relatives under the Minnesota definition. And I'll just note that when we talk today, I'm pretty likely to bounce back and forth between kin and relative, largely because they're interchangeable in Minnesota law. And despite the fact that Minnesota law uses the word relative, um, really it's what we think of more broadly as kin. So, um, you know, there's a couple instances where we have differences, like making placement decisions um, when a child is out of the home. And in those instances, we prioritize people who are related by blood or marriage over other kinds of kinship relationships, but really that's the exception and not the rule. Um, So um, yeah, kin is, kin is broad or relative is broad and just encompasses a lot of different people who are important in the lives of children. Great. Thank you for explaining that. Could you tell us the value of kinship connection for foster children? Yeah, it really, it can't be overstated when we think about um, what a child goes through when they are removed from their parents, but they're not just removed from their parents. Often they're removed from you know, their home and their neighborhood and their schools and their friends. And so maintaining connections with people who are, you know, familiar to the child is really important. Um, And, you know, research as recently summarized by the American Bar Association demonstrates pretty consistently that children who are removed from their parents and placed with kin experience better outcomes than peers who are placed with non-kin. And just a couple examples, like their trauma, the level of trauma is reduced because they have continued familiarity and continuity of people in their lives, which then leads to improved mental health outcomes, um, fewer behavioral problems and better social outcomes, better educational outcomes and educational stability. They're less likely to move around and more likely to exit foster care to a permanent family if they're unable to reunify. And also um, because, you know, kin often share a cultural background, there's a better connection that's maintained with with culture and ethnic, racial, and traditional um, connections to their communities of origin. 
in addition to stronger ties with family, including siblings and uh, children who are placed with kin, they report a greater placement satisfaction, including feelings of love and belonging when they remain with their family. And so um, even when kids aren't able to be placed with kin, maintaining those connections between kin and children is really important to help foster all of these outcomes that you know exist when kids get to stay connected to their families and communities. Wonderful, thank you. Now, can you explain to the listeners um, what rights do kin of children in the Minnesota child welfare system have? Yeah, that's a really um, important uh, aspect of, or a really important aspect of talking about the about kinship in that kin actually have a fair number of rights in the child protection system. They can ask to be participants in court hearings. And so what that means is that they have a right to notice of all hearings and a right to be present at all hearings. They have a right to show up to hearings with a lawyer granted at their own expense, but someone who's there to represent them. And they have a right to offer information to the court. So participating in court is a right under Minnesota law. We have open proceedings and kin can and should show up if they are at all interested and a lot of information gets shared in those hearings. And so in addition to just the right to participate in the court process, the social service agencies are obligated by law to work with kin in a variety of ways. And just highlighting a couple important ones, social service agencies must identify and notify kin prior to placing a child out of the home or within 30 days of the removal of the child from a parent. And they also must consider placing the child with a relative, and I'm gonna quote the statute, without delay. So that means that they have a right to have the social service agency work with and engage with them. And if the social service agencies are not engaging with kin, they're not following the law. And um, even more specifically, after this initial relative search continues, social service agencies have continuing responsibility to appropriately involve relatives. And that means that there's a preference in Minnesota law for placing children with relatives. And a social service agency must first consider placing a child with someone who is related to the child by blood marriage or adoption including uh, someone who is the legal parent or guardian of the child's sibling. Also, if they aren't able to find uh, that kind of familial relationship for placement, then they look are supposed to look to individuals with the poor important friends with whom the child has resided or had significant contact. And so we look to, or agencies must look to those people before considering placing a child in a home that's not known to them at the time of placement. And then it goes on, even if a child isn't placed with a relative, relatives still have rights and the county still has obligations to engage with them, meaning that social service agencies need to engage the relatives in the care and planning for children, including things like having them participate in case planning for the parent and child, asking relatives and kin to identify strengths and the needs of parents and children, Kin can be used as resources to supervise visits 
between parents and children. They can provide respite care and vacation visits for a child. So even if they're not the primary placement, uh, they can provide respite for the foster placement where the child is placed. Kin can be utilized to provide transportation to appointments and kin should be asked other relative, about other relatives who might be able to help support the parent and the child in case planning. And to the extent possible, the social service agency needs to work with kin to help maintain the child's familiar and regular activities and contact with friends and relatives. So that means you know, finding out when like things like family birthday parties are going on, or if a kid is in foster care and they were on a basketball team before they entered foster care, kin can be engaged in helping maintain that continuity. Um, and so it's the, the way our law is written, it's really looking to kin as a resource, both for placement and just for maintaining stability in a child's life, even if kin aren't a placement option. That's wonderful to hear. Um, could you tell us if there's been some recent changes in Minnesota law or policy related to kinship care? Yes. Uh, uh, so there were significant changes in the past legislative session that further strengthen the idea that relative placement is a preference at every stage in the child welfare case, including both when a child is removed from their home and at the time of permanent placement decisions. So the new law clarifies and strengthens a requirement that social services agencies engage with relatives. Some of those things I talked about in the last question are, are new as of this session. Um, and another important change in the law is that after there's been a termination of parental rights, if there are multiple people who are wanting to adopt a child, that courts must consider best interest of the child both in the short term and in the long term when making permanent placement decisions. And so, you know, what this looks like is a lot of times, you know, a child will be in a home and oftentimes in a home not related or not with kin. And they've been in that foster home for quite some time. And up until recently has been really focused on attachment to that caregiver. What the change in the law looks at now is that not only do you look at attachment to the current caregiver, but the courts also need to think about the long-term outcomes for children. And they're really difficult decisions that judges have to make, but it allows judges or it mandates judges to look more into the future. And so, you know, what might be best for a child at age three or four might not be best for a child at 14 or 15 who might have more of a need to be connected to their family and their culture. And so these changes or shifts in the law, ultimately, um, they are, you know, favorable to the kinship relationships or they support the kinship relationships in adding clarity about all of the different ways that courts and counties need to look at kin as a resource or at look at Ken as resources. And so they're just a few of the many changes, um, but the overall trajectory of our law and policy seems to right now be bending in a way that strengthens and supports the connection between kin and children. Great, those sound like some positive changes coming. Um, and I know there's probably a lot of listeners with questions around that part of what Natalie's talking about today. So 
just want to note that she and Ms. Dekunz will be doing a live webinar in September, so check on our website for that. Um, so moving along, Natalie, tell us about some common barriers that you have seen kin face in their interactions with the child welfare system. Yeah, so I do some legal representation of kin in the child welfare system, and also then I get a lot of phone calls or do some kind of one-off legal advice clinics with kin. So I've you know, have a lot of anecdotes about, you know, what I have, what I've seen and what barriers come up. And I would say, you know, despite all of the law that's favorable to Ken, one thing I hear repeatedly and see in my representation of Ken is that there just are a lot of barriers that they face. And so, you know, one example is that they're often provided inaccurate information. And I think that's because the law is complicated and there's, you know, the intersection of what happens in the child welfare case, but also then what happens in regard to licensure or home studies. And there's a lot of law and a lot of social workers who know about one area really well and don't know about another area as well, or they're overburdened um, and, or the law has changed or, and so there I see that there's just, not always accurate information provided to kin. And even if they have accurate information, just really navigating the complexities of the foster care licensing process and the adoption process can be challenging for anyone, but especially someone who wasn't thinking in advance about their need to get a foster care license. So many kin find themselves in a position where they didn't anticipate needing to get a foster care license until the child has been placed out of the home and then they need to rush to do it. And it can be, you know, a lot of, a lot of paperwork, a lot of complexities, a lot of people to talk to. And that is, would be difficult for anyone to navigate, let alone someone who is doing it in a rush and doing it when there's some other, you know, it, some pretty big emotional things going on for them, considering they're, you know, learning that a child that they know or love has been placed out of the home. And then, you know, it's really hard to overstate the prevalence of systemic racism and both implicit and explicit bias that I've observed in the child welfare system. And I think that often results in kin being unjustly dismissed even when they're completely capable of providing a loving and stable home. And, you know, it's comments like people saying, well, the, you, know, you know, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And if the, the parent is, a, you know, and I say in quotes, a bad parent, which is not a thing that I believe in, but if the parent is a bad parent, then all of the relatives or everyone in the family must be bad too. And so they get looked and glossed over even when they are, more than capable of providing a loving and stable home. And in fact, as research demonstrates, might be the best people or the, and certainly as our law states, the first people that agencies should look to. Um, and also, you know, another barrier that I've seen can face time and time again is that there are just very few attorneys in Minnesota that either A, have the expertise or B, even have the desire to represent kin and child welfare cases. And then there's fewer who do it at a reduced cost. And there's, you know, almost no one that is providing the representation of kin for free. And given how complicated these cases can get, 
that is a huge problem. And, you know, while sometimes if the social service agency and or the guardian ad litem are supportive of kin, it's not that it can need an attorney in every case, but to the extent that there are rights or obligations that aren't being afforded to them or aren't being followed in the work with Ken, um, can often need a lawyer and we have a long way to go to really build out the bar of attorneys who can provide this representation and we need to figure out how to fund it because attorneys are expensive and um, so yeah there's a lot that can that can are up against when they find themselves involved with the child welfare system absolutely well hopefully this podcast will get to the people who need the information and and Minadopt can be a resource for them moving forward as well. So last question today, Natalie, what is one thing you would like our listeners to know about the role of kinship care? Uh, so I'm gonna answer that in two parts because first I wanna speak just directly to any kin who might be listening to this podcast. And I just wanna say that the way I have seen you, meaning kinship families show up and step up when there are children that you know and love who find themselves in the child welfare system, it's beyond inspiring. Um, I know it is a difficult path to navigate and I've walked alongside people who have navigated it and just the commitment that you demonstrate by fighting for the kids you love, it just, you are deserving of my deepest respect and admiration. And um, yeah, it really, you're just really incredible. Even being here listening to this podcast today to get this information is an act of, of great courage and support for kids who are in foster care and you know they need it and they need you out there advocating for them. And then second, and this is you know much more generally, you know, I really worry that the legal process often divides people in really painful and unnecessary ways. And I'd like to see you know, more bridges built between foster families or the foster families where children are residing and other kin who want to be involved in the life of the child. And you know, for any professionals in the field, it's just, I ask that you work to be a point of connection instead of a point of division in supporting just the multiple significant relationships in the lives of kids who are in foster care. And, you know, I'll say that I have been able to track what happens when the court process is open and then hear for clients after it closes. And what I found is foster families who become adoptive families and then kin who might not even become the adoptive family, it seems so much easier for them to trust each other and build these connections after the court process is over and done. And, you know, I just worry yeah, about how how the court process um, interferes with what could be really beautiful and important relationships between all of the people who love and want to care for kids. Wonderful, nicely said, thank you, Natalie. It would be nice to bridge that a little bit more. So um, like I mentioned earlier, we have Natalie and Misty coming back for a live webinar in September. So peek at our website for that. It will also be added to our library for a couple of years. So thank you so much for joining us today, Natalie. I appreciate it. 
Yeah, thanks so much for having me here to talk about this really important aspect of you know the work that we all do. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you so much for joining us today for Let's Talk. Please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to our podcast. And tune in again soon. Thank you. Thank you.